Welcome back to the Brooklyn Poets Yobcast for August 14th, 2023. Featuring poet Lynn Melnick leading our workshop and kicking off the open mic. I am your host once again, Jason Koo. Our August Yop was emceed by the brilliant Darius Phelps while I was abroad in Brazil getting some quote-unquote vacation time. Darius has been locking it down all summer and seeing our events in my absence, so give it up for Darius. This month's open mic lineup featured Vanessa Cabrera, Claire Miles, Jennifer Baranoff, Naomi Brenman, Lee Ford, Ellie Bell, Michael Demsko Jr., Sienna Wills, Amanda Quaid, Hunter Hodkinson, Michael Cohen, George Bakken, Alexis Dibbs, Ivy Quo, Megan Gwilt, Ashley Babbitt, Jess Gagne, Arthur Russell, and last but not least, Kata An. So, without further ado, let's get right to the action of the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for August. Enjoy. I am your host and MC for the evening, Darius Phelps, also assistant manager here at Brooklyn Poets. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to our Yop Poem of the Month contest. Before we get started, just a few ground rules. You all know the deal. Just as a heads up, open mic readers can read one poem for a max of three minutes. I will be timing you. <laughs> just another reminder. Open mic readers can read one poem <laughs> for a max of three minutes. Please, no more. All right, every month the audience votes on poem of the month by choosing one poem. Please, please, please wait until the end of the open mic to text us the poet's name to the following number. So if you have your pens, pencils, whatever you want to write with, blood, you know. <laughs> if you're ready, let me know. <laughs> the number to text is 718-374-1953. And if you're in the Hart Crane Room, I wrote it very nice on the chalkboard that I illustrated. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the number is 718-374-1953. As another reminder, please vote only once. Do not tell your friends, your family that are watching, that are at home, that are on the street to vote. We will know. So please vote only once, and please vote at the end, okay? The 12 winners of the Poem of the Month over the course of the year will face off for our Poem of the Year contest in early December. Every month, we record the open mic as a podcast, and we publish it as the Yopcast. If, for some reason, you don't want to be on the recording, please notify me immediately afterwards so we can take you off. Uh, we can edit you off the recording. And just as a reminder, please vote only once at the end. All right, so let's go ahead and get started with our open mic portion. Our first person that we're going to kick this off with is none other than our very own Lynn Melnick. So let's welcome Lynn back to the stage one last time.
again. Um, I'm going to read two poems. Is that okay? Um, <laughs> I think I was told that was okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're quick. Um, anyway, but before that, I just want to say I um, was blown away by the poems that people shared earlier. You all were amazing. Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> um, and I like the, what you came up with in the short amount of time you had to write it was very, very impressive to me. Um, and it was very fun. Um, I'm afraid my poems are less fun than, than my prompts, maybe. Um, I'm just going to read two. And um, from my second book, Landscape with Sex and Violence. Um, so, um, Trigger warning, I, I don't remember what's in what, but there may be um, uh, domestic violence and sexual violence in these, so I'll just tell you in advance. Um, but I picked them because they both, ha they both have song lyrics in them. Um, so this one has a, a lyric from uh, the Bob Dylan song, Things Have Changed. Landscape with rum and implosion. You should have seen my breasts inside a dress so extravagant it was rogue among a decade of the type of electric horticulture all these bittersweet groves were founded on, so yeah, I traded it right off my body for a bottle of rum on the cleanest, brightest street corner I didn't think to guard my skin against because I'm in love with a woman who doesn't appeal to me. Turn on the television and all you hear is the new way of speaking, asked and answered, or the old new way of speaking now that everyone's doing it. Am I happy about it? No. I adapt to the manifold balconies of California as a symbol of liberation, like the sophisticate I'm not, when no matter how many rails we could finish from the railing or the viewshed of a whole city against the neon of a floozy motel, I am only ever trapped inside my own fixed vantage point, or else I am convention imploding such as it does. Um, thank you. And then I'm going to, the second poem I'm going to read has a line in it from a song we just heard, Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Um, and it's uh, called Landscape with 12 Steps and Prop Flora and Concerns Itself. When I was 14, I had to, was ordered to go to um, AA meetings as a condition for being allowed back in school. Um, so I was like this little person in, these, like, in this very adult environment. Um, that's what this poem's about. Landscape with 12 steps and prop flora. Inside that church in Hollywood, you don't want to believe what I'm about to tell you when you say I never speak when I say some boys take a beautiful girl and slam her against the wall. Hey, buddy, I didn't fight my way back from all the bruises and breaks just to listen to you talk about my tits under string lights. I don't even know you. Sure, I do the most uncareful things when I'm miles from here. It's all that freedom I don't recognize. But I have nothing to say to you when you point out how far you'd let me stumble in all the ways you listed down through the netting and the plastic trees meant to protect the plastic trees outside that church in Hollywood where the famous fuck-ups emerge from the basement into a mob of cigarettes clouding up an already murky sky. No, not like little stars, buddy. More like the end of the world. Thank you. All right, y'all, keep it going one more time for the phenomenal Lynn Melnick.
All right, we're going to keep this moving, guys. But just as one final reminder, you only have three minutes to read one poem. I'm not a math person, but it's pretty simple. Three minutes, one poem. All right, our first open mic reader is Vanessa Cabrera. Let's welcome Vanessa to the stage. Hi, everyone. Thank you. This poem is called Volcanes y Otras Erupciones, Volcanoes and Other Eruptions. Yo nací de los volcanes de las flores. Nací del vientre ardiente de mi mamá, de su furia, del abandono y el olvido. Nací sin poder olvidar. Eso ha sido mi desdicha en este mundo. El llorar a mares, llorar a los fantasmas, que aúllan a la puerta de mi familia y yo con la fe de invitarlos. Con la mala fama de vientos antiguos y dolores sin razón que amenazan a estallar otra vez. I was born from flowering volcanoes, from my, my mother's burning womb, from her fury of abandonment and oblivion. I was born unable to forget that has been my misfortune in this world. El llorar a mares, cry to the phantoms that howl at my family's door, and me with the faith of inviting them in. The bad reputation of old wounds and pains without reason that threaten to erupt once again. Thank you. Yeah. All right, that was amazing. Let's keep it going. Up next, we have Claire Miles. All right, this is something I wrote several years ago, um, but I'm, I'm coming out of a period of being stuck, so I thought I might as well read. Um, this is called Return to Self. 18 years later, and I'm me again, like the me I was when I ate twin popsicles and wore beads down my back, red, blue, red, tiny rubber bands, magic auntie hands twisting for hours in front of reruns of the Parkers and America's Next Top Model. We'd only root for Eva Pigford or Yaya, and I would learn to praise black women's hands and the way they could break and still turn thin air into whatever they wanted a barren bowl to macaroni and cheese, an empty girl to an oasis, savanna warm, head full of pink lotion braids, copper penny chin. 18 years later and I've recovered from lion relaxer, hoping one day those magic hands would be mine. I'm still working on it. Most days my hair is 6 a.m. and day seven dry. My hair is bonnet fresh and lonely for the days of aunties and TV static. It wants water, it wants an ancient oil, it wants the hands of an unknown African country to touch it, and it wants R&B playing in the background while they're doing it. And by doing it, I mean creating something beautiful. And by creating something beautiful, I mean something that not everyone will understand. Something that keeps me waking up early for wash days and keeps my fingers screaming as they run the marathon. Moving swiftly from my scalp to my shoulder, weaving through centuries of muscle memory, so that today I lower my chances of my hair being anything but noticeable. 
from being wild, being Medusa, frizzball, petting zoo, unhinged garden gate, my hair on the wrong day makes my body into a public good. I am a walking tragedy of the commons, parts of me torn apart and bought and sold and worn on white backdrops and then they are beautiful. And by beautiful I mean something that everyone is forced to understand as the standard. And by standard, I mean the opposite of myself, me, substandard, wrong side of the yin-yang, years of honey and shea butter swirling me onyx, swirling me black and silver graphite-skinned UFO, a body stripped bare and mosaiced throughout a blonde world where nobody knows who Countess Vaughn is. Suddenly, I am spectacle. Thing to be touched and prodded without permission. I am black hole for questions. I'm tired of answering and all I ever did was be born in this world with a nice auntie and basic cable and survive 18 years of hair chemicals and scabs and burning only to return natural after decades of hating the mirror, which leads me to today. Today, my hair is selfish. It wants a hat with a satin lining. It wants those 400 thread count bed sheets. It wants to get wrapped up in them tenderly. It wants to be hummed Kehlani and India Ari while it hibernates after a long day of twisting so it can feel safe for once. See, my curls are always trying to return back to that soft, magic static. Thank you. All right, thank you, Claire. That was beautiful. Up next, we have Jennifer Baranoff. Three unknown guardian angels. Is it good? Okay, thanks. Three unknown guardian angels took me on a motorbike, fed me cake and walked me to the railroad tracks. The first descended on the backdrop of the mountaintops, came in through the referral of a friend with a coat made of animal and a wingspan of curly hair. He welcomed me onto the back of his motorbike and him and I both zigzagged on the dirt road through the city, climbing past straw and stone, past an old high school to a temple in the sky. There we sat, streamers around us, and I wondered what he wondered, having done this 10,000 times before. He shared one thought it had to do with Mountain Dew. He brought me back, both of us flanked in traffic, sitting, stop and go, stop and go. There we were, in the Himalayas, in the grass fields, moving no quicker than anyone else. The second met me in a square, not far from where my grandparents met each other. She didn't know them, though it's possible someone she knew did. She'd been reassigned, referred through a man named Jay, and in this way she stayed. She didn't mind the cake, she didn't mind the clock, that once an hour would pull out all the stops, a wooden bird would emerge behind a dancing couple, also in wood, also down a path that would pull their bodies forward, without much choice of their own. With tapping teaspoons, we watched the scene from a cafe in Munich a few floors up. The third emerged on my way to Africa. There was a pit bull of a pit stop. The engine had fallen out of the plane, best to stop, I thought. The third appeared having known my friend 
And this one had spent most of his time there, in Belgium, in the woods, because that's where the family before him came and settled. He showed me, in the family home, in the woods, the closet of games, the chest of tapes he was hoping to transcribe, that captured the winged lineage of those who came before him, dipped their hand in the stream, and shaped its path. Together, we drank, and I'd fallen asleep only to return the next day, back through the frog-colored woods, the tussled leaves that checkered out of the tracks. Some journeys are made alone. These, a welcome surprise, a companion appeared. I pray for another to arise, knowing that by doing that, they do not come. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. Up next, we have our very own fabulous intern, Naomi Brenman. Hello. Um, I wrote this poem in Lynn's workshop, so I'm happy to read it here. It's called Venus on the Half Shell. Stand naked for me as the church burns. Stand on the wooden stool of your childhood. Wrap your arms around your tits as smoke fills the pews. In the mirror, the body shifts to find her angle. Capture modesty, capture grace. That day you saw the light through stained glass, you curved and straightened. Born from the sea, smoldering now a devotion. Stand naked for me, and beyond the self, you cry beauty, Notre Dame blazes. You are the goddess rising from the sea. All right, thank you, Naomi. Up next, we have Lee Fold. Lee, are you in the audience? All right, let's welcome Lee to the stage. All right, keep it going, keep it going. Hi. Um, hold on. I wrote this uh, about being like a writer who likes to live life kind of at arm's length, and uh, it's set in Washington Square Park, and I call it Poet's Disappearing Act. I live it through the paper, the walking man inside the crosswalk sign, uh, sorry, the walking man inside the crosswalk sign pointing to the park turns into that flashing hand, and I enter the magician's den. A woman is throwing bubbles to her kids, her wand so long she gives it a softball swing to send them drifting out like slow balls in a dream. At the arc of her arm, a pigeon takes off from behind her, and it's like she's making birds out of air. Here, even the statues are breathing, a man on a bike frozen into a wheelie, defying physics, who comes alive for tips. Some dude yells out, I'll give $100 to anyone who can tell me how that guy does that. But I don't think he wants an answer, just wants to be a part of this lovely something that is the world. Me, I just sit sated by my own quiet and perform the poet's disappearing act. Learned it from that walking man in the crosswalk. I take my body and transform it into a single hand. Thank you. All right, thank you, Lee. That was awesome. Up next, we have Ellie Bell. All right, let's welcome Ellie. 
This poem is called, and I just wrote this today, but it is something that has been, I don't know, stirring for a little bit. I do a hard thing because a seagull cocks its head and flaps its wings somewhere new, so I believe I can do the same after Richard Zeigen. Sometimes, okay, more often than I'd care to admit, I doubt I can be creature enough to leave in instinct. Doubt I can be wingspan, branch collector, nest builder. Doubt I can new baby bird myself through the world without falling from such great heights. Doubt I have the energy left to fly somewhere else for a new season. Though I have been all of this before and woken up nearly enough to catch the worm of myself before I get carried away too far. On, a two, on two o'clock on a Sunday at Jacob Reese Beach, I plant my feet firmly in sand, soak in earth, water, wind, stubborn fire signs settled on sinking in comfortably. Hear the squawk of surrender from a seagull who knows it's his time to fly, picks his feet up and soars, no questions asked. His flight dares me to let the baggage loose and fly towards myself with full feathered courage. Everyone needs a place. You need it for the moment you need it. Then you bless it and move on. When have I done this? Not often enough. Now a muted purple sectional couch to sell. Artwork that does not feel like me anymore. To leave on the sidewalk. A hand-me-down dining room table that once held so many bad day pho orders as I slurped the sadness away. Thank you, place I intended to stay, but that doesn't fit the shape of me. Thank you, person I intended to be, but have far surpassed by now. Each a temporary home, a launching pad perhaps from which to fly south. A reminder to give myself permission to settle somewhere new when the wind calls for it, when my gut says go. And so, somewhere new, again, I home myself in soul memory, build a nest of all the things that have ever felt like what the safest four walls would when I one day know them. A fifth grade field trip to Karchner Caverns that taught me to love how sharply a cave cries, the buzz of the ink gun on my skin at Electric Anvil on Franklin Avenue, the theater seats of a high school poetry slam in the silence when the lights turn out, the skyline from Brooklyn Bridge Park, in the future memory of someday someone saying, you are easy to love, but I know that no one else can branch build the safety scaffolding my body needs like I can. So I do the hard thing and home myself in mirror-told truths for now, in you are easy to love, and then I am not going anywhere, even when you're not. All right. Up next, we have Michael Demesco Jr. Michael, let's welcome Michael to the stage. This piece is called Soar. 
there's a brief pause in the middle, so bear, bear with me. When I've finished with this body, when the muscles give out infrastructure above and below herniated discs stacked as high as an acid-laden neck allows, then I will let it die. When this mind is finished with me, when I've brought to its bosom everything it could conceive held, all the decades of orgasms, every gland explored, rendered, sore. Nerve endings, frayed wires of a beloved old machine that brought you music, laughter, permitted every touch, bore every beating, burned and froze in the heaven of earthly ecstasies, the hell of divine mundanity. I have been the human to your humanity. Every commuter calorie that paid you its toll and taste counterbalanced every action you have willed, I have brought to bear. The beckoning of our finger in the mirror, feedback in our eyes, vibrates like a question, why? Why do you make me do this to you? All right, up next we have Sienna Wills. Sienna. Hello, everyone. <clears throat> this, uh, <clears throat> I'm a little phlegmy, so bear with me. <clears throat> um, this title of this poem is called I Can Remember. It's actually a song title for my mom's favorite band, The Raspberries. And it's just for context, I'm biracial. My mom is my black parent, my dad is my white parent, and this is a poem about me discovering that I am actually different. I can remember. I can remember watching my parents dance in the living room to David Bowie songs. I can remember thinking they were different, but the same. I was three. I can remember my first day of class in pre-kindergarten. I can remember being called a brownie and being accused of passing cooties to the boy I had my first crush on. I was five. I can remember not understanding why my teachers treated me so badly. I can remember trying to change my name and gender on paper in hopes they would like me more if I was a boy. I was six. I can remember the life-changing moment after I changed schools I experienced in the second grade as Ms. Spell taught us about the great accomplishments of Harriet Tubman and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I can remember all the bad names and oppression I experienced had finally made sense. I was eight. I can remember girls sticking gum in my hair along with throwing lit matches at it. I can remember when the bullying reached my own front yard, forcing me to stay in the house and miss school. I was 11. I can remember moving to New York and making friends that looks like me. I can remember learning that even though they weren't like me, they still loved me for who I was. 
I was 14. I can remember dating and my maternal grandmother telling me not to bring her any tar baby grandchildren. I can remember my father telling me my, why my Aunt Marie did not want anything to do with my brother and me. And me. I was 18. I can remember never really feeling respected by the men I dated outside of my race. I can remember them telling me how to look like the Puerto Rican mothers or that I was a black girl with good hair. I was 24. I can remember getting a ticket for putting my feet on the seats of the A train by a cop. I can remember my anger and disbelief when he, I saw he put white as my ethnicity without asking me what I was, but asked about my weight. I was 33. I will always remember these things, and this list will continue to grow, but so will my pride. No one's gonna take my glow. I'm 43. Thank you. Thank you, Sienna. Up next, we have Amanda Quaid. All right, let's welcome Amanda. Um, this is my first time reading a poem ever. And I wrote it in Seth's workshop. <clears throat> At the end of the high line, I tell my husband I'm sick, and we linger two figures in an art student's prep sketch, not quite knowing where to stand on the page or what we should do with our hands. I always liked our similar size, but I suddenly wish he was bigger. Tonight, he'll bend over the stove, his back half a heart, stirring the anti-cancer soup he finds on a website. For now, his eyes are steady and dry, Part of me wants a hysterical scene, sobbing and fistfuls of thinning black hair. I don't know what that says about him or me or the marriage. Early on, we wrote our names in anagrams and his was level zone. Next, we took an online quiz, exactly alike, but one small thing. I see what could be, he sees just what is. The most difficult difference, they say, when stars go out and you need to find your way home in the dark. Thank you. All right, that was beautiful. Thank you. Up next, we have another one of our amazing interns, Hunter Hodgkinson. Let's give it up for Hunter. Hi, everyone. Hello. Do y'all ever get butterflies in, like, in your stomach? Where do they go? <laughs> this poem is about uh, one of the most intense loves of my life. It's called Butterfly Genocide. One. After some debate, I've decided it was his hands that caused them to emerge. Heroin warm, washing up my arms. 
Maybe it was a reaction, my body's defense against his touch. Maybe they were always inside, waiting. It became apparent they were here to stay, wiggling around in my guts like playful tapeworms nauseating me with his absence. At night, they spun their cocoons, attaching them to my stomach lining. I grew used to their softness. I'm not sure when it happened, when the first one decided to claw its way from its chrysalis, but what followed is nothing short of genocide. Two, I spit them out, one at a time, butchered remnants of wing and antenna, but it's not enough. I feel them brimming behind my uvula, rising, rising, a tsunami through sink pipe. The subway is littered with their beautiful bodies. The entire train ride home is a massacre. It will be days before I see him again. Days of dabbing up cocoon-streaked tears, days of scraping my flutter-deafened ears, days of blowing my nose, a flop house for caterpillars. <laughs> the days between him are the days of death, death for no reason. At least when I'm with him, they die honorably. I press their limbs between two empty pages and call them poems. That is not enough in my book to ask for love. Three, my Silk Road esophagus is tumultuous to travel, yet he does it with such ease. He makes his own desire paths across my heart, stomping down the weeds. We exist in an alternate plane separate from the sapphic commentary between the sun and the moon, a place of sundry shades and colors I've been blind to until now. Their vibrance is hypnotizing and everything I want to see. Four, Tume Monk every single day. Even when we're together, it's not enough, but it's a start. His smell, warmth, bigger hands, and that face curling and scrunching like he's tasted something so sweetly sour when he looks at me as if he always knew I'd one day arrive. Thank you. All right, thank you, Hunter. That was fantastic as always. Up next, we have Michael Cohen. Um, I was recently, I, I <clears throat> do a lot of work with young kids. I was recently asked by a group of 12-year-olds who, who just discovered that there was no digital life when I was growing up. What did you do? I, was like, <clears throat> I don't want to break Brooklyn Poets. Like, um, what, what, what did you do as a kid? Uh, this poem is called Country of Origin. One, name your country of origin. Two, primary language spoken. Three, provide a brief description of an important dimension of life. 
country, childhood. Language, an endangered language facing extinction. Three, a dimension of life, games and things. Glass cat's eye and milky marbles. Stickball and the operatic call car as we moved with ballet-like precision to the sidewalk. There was points, aiming the pink scuffed spalding to hit exactly at the edge of the curb, defying gravities of flies into the stratosphere. Ring Olivio throughout the neighborhood an entire afternoon evading capture, flipping baseball cards, secretly playing jacks when the girls weren't around. And hopscotch was okay if the girls played too, and jump rope. The ritual reenactment of every Saturday afternoon movie there was jumping from car to car in the lot, and the one time the police came looking apartment for, by apartment, pure terror. Pick up sticks on the sidewalk, climbing up on the supermarket roof on Sundays, handmade Frankenstein-like go-karts made of discarded roller, blades, uh, roller skates, baby carriages, tricycles, milk crates, and junkyard steering wheels, carrying plastic soldiers in bags to the abandoned yard on Saturday the thousand card games, evening, uh, early evening dodgeball with 30 kids of all ages in the parking lot, bike riding and taking turns as the street traffic cop, all the practical jokes, a dollar bill on, dangled on a fish hook lowered from a fishing rod from the roof, secret codes banged on radiators, and the poor boy's amusement park ride, pulling the smallest kids up and down on the dumbwaiters. Polishing yo-yo axles, handmade kites, slingshots, clothespin, and rubber band paperclip shooters, comic book exchanges, fence and pole climbing, and being careful not to touch the telephone or electric wires because someone knew someone who knew someone whose cousin was electrocuted. <laughs> it's true. Later, age 13 or 14, there was hopping New York Central freight trains down at the river, always chess and checkers, digging for to tokens and coins on the old 100-year abandoned railway bed, sledding, snowball fights, and cave, cl cave climbing in Van Cortlandt Park, running, racing, and tag you're it. How long can you hold your breath, and how many times your rock skips? There were firecrackers, sparklers, and cherry bombs smuggled from a fire foreign country called the South. Ping-pong bowling and pool, both eight ball and straight, and for a short time, a miniature car racing craze at stores with eight-track roadways, we would wind the copper motor wires ourselves. A stream of model-building cars, planes, and tanks, ice cream trucks in the summer, an endless array of candy, and always shifting preferences as consequential as waves in the space-time continuum. And nothing, nothing over the course of a lifetime surpasses a Three Musketeers. Pooling money for French fry slices or Italian ice and the deepening and unfolding awareness of our emerging desires and our shared love for the girl across the street. <laughs> and there were the rules. Never cheat. Play to win. Everyone's in. No dirty fighting. Share what you have and always look out for each other. It was a different world. Thank you. All right, thank you, Michael. Up next, we have George, back George Bakken. 
All right, let's welcome George. I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I failed public speaking in high school, and this is my first time uh, ever saying a poem out loud, so we're just gonna go for it. This is titled, can everyone hear me? Yeah. Cool, awesome. Handshakes and hand-me-downs, awake and bake. Every time we clasped, time didn't lapse. We navigate to this retort resort with Google Maps. Leaves crackling beneath our feet, smiles hijacking our chins, winds and waves as we sailed on your fleet, blowing and blinding miles of our sins. The result of an adult cult with no faults, these are the images stocking up the aftercare process's informational webpage, funneling the fun into funeral, which is purposed to clash against our rage. Just gotta breathe. The <laughs> Here we go. The flaming heart emoji was birthed the same day we were cherishing your perishing. Don't bother to sit up. This time it's you that will be lit up pushing the button to wake the flames, obliterating you and all your blames. Igniting your inciting, heat fills the space in a race to erase. You were always and in always prouder of him. This ruminating obsession has transformed into an irritating obsession. Poke it, freeze it, stab it, or let it grow and have it tow. Proceeded in death by Father George and Mother Jane, first to singe are the fringes of your mane. Dear Tony from Sandy and Lou Berlingo, we are so very sorry for your loss. My hand followed yours across the moss. This dynasty dynamic will turn manic without our boss and dynasty. Did they dress you up in your prolific polo by Ralph, L.O. Bean khakis, wicker belt, hill-figure loafers, your box-shaped baseball hat with the gold thread spanning across the brim, all pretty and pleat? Or did they just use a basic sing or did they just use a basic, simple, crispy, clean white sheet? I'm sure your ribs didn't last long, protecting your heart. Must feel violently vulnerable splayed out on that cart. This is probably going to go over three, but... Uh, I can't remember our last hug, though I'm sure it hit like a new kind of drug. Don't recall what caused your demise. Was it the selfishness or the leukemia? In this friar is not the time for cries getting significantly steamy in here, huh? Your ending, only required your ending only requires one movie's duration. I'm sure just one song playing for your creation. Would have emptied out my bank account to witness that glowing halation. I should check Live Nation, a show titled Cremation or How I Creamed All Over This Nation. Hope you enjoy the last of your hundreds of vacation. Hope you enjoy the last of your hundreds of vacations. This mutation due to your mutilation. Um, this part is in all caps. Please hold back your snaps. It says in parentheticals. Shaken. Uh, I would have loved to watch you burn. Your fingertips, your hips, your nips, your toes, your nose, your rose, your back, your sack, your crack, your arms, your harms, your charms. The texture of this vexer the fabric of this maverick filled to the brim of that urn. He was surrounded by his family, who were astounded by his rambling. It's far too late to hide, to confide in your pride. 
Death is the safest place in existence. This is the end of my resistance. I don't possess anything of yours. Flaunting your haunt, you cause, you cause spiteful wars. Services have been held. Swears have been yelled. Swords have been compelled. Sisters have been felled. Pull the sire from the pyre. Plan the route. Pen a tribute in the tribune. Inform the town crier. We've hushed the liar. Handshakes and hand-me-downs. I drank the golden flowing milkshake melted from your crown, no longer wearing a frown. Thank you. All right, keep it going, folks, for George. That was awesome. Congrats on a phenomenal first time. Up next, we have Alexis Dibbs. Let's welcome Alexis to the stage. Hello, my name is Alexis. Uh, today I will be reading a poem for someone who usually tunes in virtually, but today she is here. Uh, this is entitled, Our Love Language, for my sister Gwen. We wake up in our Brooklyn apartment to the sound of the espresso machine rumbling, seeking validation in the palm of our hands. Native to shaking hearts, playing games, and mind frothing milk with such ease. A table set with a vase of flowers of freshly picked lavender and double chocolate chip cookies baked from scratch. Our love language is, did you eat yet? But not in stomach full, in stomach as full as heart beating, as nourished as inner child healing, creating who you are when you show up to the table at Sunday dinner. Mumbling in the words our mother gave us, a foreign tongue to pray in, even if organized religion has left our body in shambles, we find forgiveness. We say grace until the words escape into the abyss, into gibberish, into giggles with our cups filled to the rim with optimism, no matter how many times our pockets welcome empty promises, invited are the blessings to good relations. We maintain to combat arguments and petty comments, we stand together even when apart, even in silence, even when our anxiety visits us at different hours in the night, we remind each other to eat, that withholding food will not starve it but us, and that our souls are hungry for adventure, a life filled with only desires. Perhaps that's wishful thinking. Perhaps we bury yesterday's trouble, enter into tomorrow's heaven, knocking on the door to discover God is a woman. God is not living up to the outdated expectations set by a society that no longer meets the guidelines of kindness. God does not follow the rules. God leaves us feeling as stuffed as a turkey on Thanksgiving, not as empty as all that we gave up when fasting come Lent. Regardless, we still hold our parents' hands in prayer. As we pass the food around the table, scrape what's left of our past self into the chalice, I'll take whatever troubles are left over. For me to help you, help me to help me, help you to eat, and I'll eat, and I'll eat. So you don't have to ask, did you eat yet? Thank you. All right, thank you, Alexis. That was beautiful. I love how you write about your sister. I would never write about my sister. Nah. Unless it was a diss poem, then no. Nah. 
<laughs> I love her though. <laughs> Up next, we have Ivy Kuo. Let's welcome Ivy. first time performing, so I'm very excited. And um, on a less fun note, who here has experienced heartbreak? That's what I thought, so this poem is for every one of you who has. What does this heart sound like when it breaks? It sounds like snap, a twig breaking off after it's carried thrice the weight it was designed to. Fragmented bark splintering the virgin grass beneath, waiting for a new home in the soft heel of an unassuming fawn. Heartbreak sounds like whispers of solitude, reminding you how empty the night is when hour and minute arms dance on the clock face, reaching out for an embrace, but never quite meeting, blind reaching for blind in the dark. Because in absence of light, no one can hear tears falling. They only hear the steady drip, 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 like a broken faucet pouring into an empty sink, a vessel designed only to receive but never give. Heartbreak might sound like a tree falling with no one to hear it, like confessions from the soul with no one to listen. Or heartbreak can sound like the ocean crashing defiantly onto the shore rattling every palm tree with its vibrato. But in the quiet of the moonlight, amidst silver-stained waves kissing the shoreline, I swear you could hear the distant call of a siren leering sailors to their untimely demise. Heartbreak echoes a humpback whale song, ethereal notes reverberating across the deep blue into an ocean as vast as the low tremble of its symphony imparting sorrow and wonder in equal measures, enrapturing sea creatures in a slow waltz to welcome tomorrow. Because tomorrow arrives swiftly, because heartbreak doesn't wait for anyone. It slips through shut doors and opens closed windows, finding a home in yours, an unwelcome visitor to which you open your eyes and ask you again. But heartbreak has no answer, for it can make no sound. Instead, it borrows the hum of your last lover, whispering sweet nothings until you've driven mad with longing, trembling to return to the place you swore you never go back to. And then heartbreak laughs silently, the chorus of a thousand mute hyenas waiting for carnage to be spelt so it can feast upon regret and despair. Heartbreak can sound like a stolen kiss, so fleeting you question if it ever happened. Or else it can sound like a broken promise, shattered but still carrying the whisper of potential. But the trickiest thing heartbreak does is when it steals your voice and makes it their own, robbing you of words forever stuck in your throat. It wears your voice like a priest dons stolen robes slipping into your bed tracing the silhouette of what could have been, tainting every inch with malice so that no one ever dares to lay there again. Thank you.
All right, thank you, Ivy. That was beautiful. Congrats again on the first time. Let's clap one more time for her first time reading. All right, folks, it's unfortunately about the time of the night where I have to cut some folks off. So we have about a good 10-ish minutes left. So we have about three more people. So up next, we have Megan Gwilt, then Ashley Mabbitt, and Jess Gagne. If we can squeeze in two to three more, I will try my best, all right? So let's welcome Ashley to the stage. Hmm? Oh, yeah, sorry, Megan Gwilt. My apologies. <laughs> Long night, folks. Megan Gwilt, sorry. Hi, everyone. I have a talent for picking the right poem for the op. Didn't know the theme, but this poem is just called Rhyme Time. All right. In a universe as infinite as ours, filled with planets and wormholes and stars, I find it hard to believe I don't exist on Mars. How could I be the only me the stars knit together delicately, intricately, and intentionally? If they struck gold for free, I find it hard to believe they wouldn't control C, control V, a me in every galaxy. I choose to believe the stars made a million me's with a billion plan B's to find to fill their infinite tiny seas and watch me choose in the autumn breeze the life where I'd be most at ease, whatever the fuck that even means. And now I'm me, and we can all see who I turned out to be, but what if me wasn't me and instead she chose one of the other three cities calling please but roots down in me? And as much as I really believe I'm as happy as a girl can be, there are a trillion billion different me's with crazy wild thoughts like these. And I can't call them in from the trees to share a meal and shoot the breeze comparing the scars on our skin knees. So I'm forced to imagine Imagine the what could be's if we could trade identical families and see how it really turned out if we chose the other winding route would I still have a father to doubt when he complains about his gout or drought or how I ought to be living life slow wherever I go opinions follow most I'd rather throw back in the snow letting my joy keep me aglow but I feel like I have nothing to show to prove I know I made the right call that moving away that sunny fall was what I needed to grow big and metaphorically tall that I really didn't need to practice law or discover a mythical cure-all that this wasn't a close call it was a landslide decision one made with precision and I know I caused a division and I'm sorry my joy made the first incision but please understand I could not spend my life in the subdivision straight out of television I desperately needed a revision that only came with the collision of my goals and your play. I needed to make my own way and then include moving away. And maybe someday I'll meet the me that stayed and from her learn the edges I frayed instead of swayed in my direction. And maybe she'll speak with such an inflection that I'll know she's the superior me, the one I wanted to grow up to be with the picket fence house and the family I gave up to be happy. And maybe she lives with her groom-to-be and smiles when he sings off-key with all the love I no longer see. Because in the end, I guess I chose New York City, a place I always dreamed I'd be. And I hope I hope we can all agree that the big city really suits me. I'm not living like a retiree next to my old birch tree, but maybe I'm just a wannabe with a degree turning everything I see into a verse so pretty I sing it as I drift to sleep, because in the end I chose me and she chose he. And who's to say where we'd be if we weren't we? If I were she and she were me, I wouldn't be free, and I guess what I want you to see is there is no other version of me where I'd rather be than the me who chose herself instead of leaving her dreams on a shelf, choosing to trust in life itself instead of a man who never could find himself. Now that I'm settled and free, I can't help but think of she, and I hope she finds the peace she needs, happy as can be with her rhinoplasty, and as she sips her afternoon tea, swatting away sugary, summery bees, I hope she's thinking of me.
All right, thank you, Megan. I hope she's thinking of you too. <laughs> Up next, now we have Ashley Mabbitt. Let's welcome Ashley. <laughs> thank you, Seth. Uh, thank you all. I think this is such a great supportive audience. I'm really happy to be reading. I do have a book coming out next year. Uh, the title of it, thank you, thank you. The title is A Self, A Frame, A Look In Through. Um, and I'm gonna, but I'm gonna read something new actually. And I just wanted to, to thank you, Liz, for in, encouraging us to try forms. This is uh, a sonnet, actually. Um, it's a sonnet, and it's also a riddle. Um, so you can kind of listen if you want, and and try and guess what the subject of the poem is. <clears throat> so the title is "The Mystery Only You Can Begin to Swirl." The silence you nearly constantly occupy as you stand on top of a coiled black spiral gone cold. Hours past the flicking hiss of concentrated flame is not what defines you. It is the anticipated moment when you are no longer able to hold your cry inside. When you shriek the shriek that beckons me to come close and make the fire subside. To lift you up and let tumble forth the christened pool of plain wet heat that will enact an ordinary trickery upon which my every day relies. This is the plea, the resounding trill, to which you belong, the you that is more than you. Thank you. All right, thank you, Ashley. Up next, we have one of my favorite people from the back who just got done chowing on pizza. Let's welcome my good friend, Jess Gagne. Thank you, Darius, and thank you, everybody. Um, when I got here, this poem was on version three, and now it's on version six, and hopefully soon it'll be done. Um, but it's the first new thing I've written in a while, so I'm excited. Um, and shout out to the I Love NYC group. I think, I think it's called Tourist. <laughs> the crest of a wave, the velvet curve of a petal, black butterfly wings in the sun, a whole city on the tip of my tongue. I can touch all these just as much as I can touch the new skin over the wound of you, that is to say, not without opening up. If I could, when you look at me, I'd turn you not to stone, but mirror, and have you explain what it's like. What does a mirror see in a mirror? I can't believe we used to lay together in your childhood bedroom after a day at the beach, peeling each other's sunburned layers, radiating, trying to get deeper at whatever's underneath. 
and love is the same as death. Both are the end of everything that came before. Except you, ancient stone, you walk in both of my worlds. Present everywhere, I'm trying not to look. My missing reflection, a stranger. Every night, a different, ghostly version of you. Taking down the temples, repurposing the marble. What does it take to make new meaning from ruins? I thought if I waited long enough, I wouldn't remember what it was like. Imagine being there when the columns fall, knowing now those estranged fragments will redefine this forever. We were here once. I carve our names somewhere they can't be scrubbed off. And for a moment, the horror of forgetting subsides. Thank you, Jess. Up next, we have our very own regular Arthur Russell. Let's welcome Arthur to the stage. How about a round of applause for Darius working in his new job? The dude can work it. I'm so happy to be here with him. Thank you, Lynn. It was great. I got some stuff out of it. I'll work on it later. I wanted to tell everybody that um, I won the rattle... 2023 chapbook prize and I'm going to be thank you 50 years right so I'm going to have a launch right here on October the 13th everybody who comes to the launch gets a free copy of my book and um, I really would you know this is my group I think I read almost every poem that's in that book here and I wrote a couple of the poems that are in that book here at Yawps uh, this poem I'm going to read to you tonight is not from that. It's kind of about the desperation you sometimes feel at the end of the day when you just want to go to sleep and you want to get into that place where the dreams are because you want that. It's called, I Crash My Head Down on the Pillows. When I crash my head down on the pillows, my head is the prow of a sailing ship, the heavy timber of the foremost keel, crashing down on the icy cresting swell, hungry for collision with the utmost deep. Hungry for collision with the utmost deep, I crash my head down on the pillows, crashing down on the icy cresting swell, my head is the prow of a sailing ship, the heavy timber of the foremost keel. The heavy timber of the foremost keel, hungry for collision with the utmost deep. My head is the prow of a sailing ship. I crash my head down on the pillows, crush, crashing down on the icy cresting swell. Crashing down on the icy cresting swell like the heavy timber of the foremost keel, I crash my head down on the pillows, hungry for collision with the utmost deep. My head is the prow of a sailing ship. My head is the prow of a sailing ship crashing down on the icy 
cresting swell, hungry for collision with the utmost deep, heavy as the timber of the foremost keel. I crash my head down on the pillows. Propel me, pillows, past the cresting swell. Take me, ship's keel, down to the utmost deep. Thank you all. Thank you, author, especially for those kind words. That was definitely one of my favorites you've read so far up here. Last but certainly not least, um, we have Karan. Let's welcome Karan to the stage, a fellow first-time reader. so much. Uh, this is my first open mic. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. oh, I want to get through this. I wanted to first read something about broken hearts, but I think all of you are going to relate to it, so I'm not going to do that. Um, as I'm the last person, I'm going to go with this poem that I've written. It's called, Have You Met Me? Tell me, how do I look? For I haven't seen myself. I'm torn between my today and tomorrow dissolved in my own mess, disparaging my own dreams. I'm a word away from distress, a second away from my fall, a breath away from my fears. But tell me, how do I look, even when I smile with my tears? Guided by my body more than my soul, mind mixed with feelings, emotions unended, thoughts divided. When I achieve a little of what the world set us to be, a little of what my body believed love to be. I thought I will feel a bit satiated, less hungry, less concerned. But in the end, I was even emptier than before. It was as if the cup was being filled at a distant end and I was drinking out of its shadow bowl. Still processing the image I see, still resonating with everyone I meet, but know that I'm neither lonely or completely alone. But I'm more like a broken bone, supported by the plastered reality of my home. I don't fall apart at the hours of the day, but during the seconds of a minute. For in those few seconds, I sit with an unexpressed truth, naked, yet dressing my soul. With barren words, I express myself of a thought still looming on the idea of an ideal self, a self unuttered undisclosed, rather prematurely lost, like a wave lost in its sea, ice melted in its own snow, just like meeting silence in the vacuum of the unknown. Scared by my own means, wasted by my own dreams, I still recycle words to balance the sore reality of my time, as if waiting for somebody to come home and rescue me from myself. But before we leave, tell me, how do I look? <laughs> Explain it. Even if you see me in parts, tell me, even if you think it's dark, tell me that you still see my soul. Tell me so that I can explore. Tell me there is more. Lie so that I can hold on to it and be as I may, even though I know we are just moving images stored in time and lost in space. But lie 
if you have to, so that I can believe. Like reality, destiny is two-faced. And I'm not afraid to choose the one burnt by time, but all I'm afraid of is being limited by my own mind and become just a syllable, a word, a maybe. But before that, tell me, have we met before? Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. All right, folks, it is that time of the night, but really quickly, let's give a big round of applause for all of our open mic readers. You guys were phenomenal. Another round of applause for the fabulous Lynn. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. That was an amazing workshop. All right, and now for the important part of the night, so I need all eyes and ears on me. Damn, it's like I'm back in pre-K. Um, <laughs> the number to text is, one more time, 718-374-1953. That is 718-374-1953. Now I'm going to go through the list of open mic readers and call their names one more time. So as I call their name, you can now start to vote. All right. Our first was Vanessa Cabrera, Claire Miles, Jennifer Baranoff, Naomi Brinman, Lee Fold, Ellie Bell, Michael Demesco Jr., Sienna Willis, Amanda Quaid, Hunter Hodgkinson, Michael Cohen, George Bakken, and that's Bakken with two Ks, <laughs> Alexis Dibbs, Ivy Kuo, that's K-U-O for the last name, Megan Gwilt, Ashley Mabbitt, Jess Gagne, Arthur Russell, and last but not least, Karan. All right, thank you all so much. But before you go, I'm going to announce our next month's YAP tickets go on sale in about approximately. 21 minutes at 9.30. <laughs> we are very accurate around here, folks. <laughs> the next job will take place on Monday, September 11th with Joanna Sorfrian, and that will be on sale at 9.30. Thank you all so much. I'm your host and MC, Darius Phelps. It's been a pleasure having you. Get home safe, and we will see you same time, same place next month. Thank you. have it, the Brooklyn Poets Yop Open Mic for August 2023, featuring the one and only Lynn Melnick, one of my favorite BK poets and writers, got a fantastic 
recent memoir about her love for the music and life of Dolly Parton. Uh, really eye-opening memoir. I didn't know anything about Dolly Parton. Felt like an idiot for not realizing how incredible Dolly Parton was. Uh, anyway, longtime supporter of Lynn Melnick at Brooklyn Poets. Uh, we love what she does. Uh, and congrats, of course, to Yop debuter Claire Miles for winning Poem of the Month in August for her incredible poem, Return to Self. We're glad Claire uh, has returned to herself and returned to poetry because uh, she's done a great job reading this poem and wowing the audience uh, in August. Uh, thanks again to Darius Phelps, our MC for not only the month of August, but the month of July. Uh, I'll be back in September for the September 11th Yop featuring Joanna Sofrian. Uh, I'll be back to MC that one and probably the one after that too. And then Darius will be back in December because uh, my wife and I have a second baby on the way in early November. So uh, I will, uh, did I say I was going to MC the November Yop? I think I, I, I might have misspoken. I meant the October Yop. I will definitely not be MCing the November Yop. Uh, if my second daughter has arrived. But uh, in any case, uh, we hope you come out for the September 11th Yop. Uh, tickets are on sale. There's still tickets remaining, although tickets tend to sell out uh, in advance of the actual date. So if you're interested in coming, go to brookenpoets.org. Look under events. You'll find the Yop as the first event. Uh, or if you follow us on social media, on Instagram, you can uh, find the link to the Yop in our bio link. Uh, on our link tree, you will see that uh, you can get a ticket for the open mic and the workshop, or you can get a virtual ticket if you don't live in New York City. Um, that is all. We hope you like what you heard. If you did, we'd love it if you'd rate us five stars on iTunes and subscribe to us. It helps more listeners find this podcast and all these amazing poets. Uh, yeah, we will see you in September. Thanks for listening. Take care.